Welcome to the Grace College Podcast, a ministry of Grace Bible Church located in College Station, Texas. We desire to impact students who will impact the world for Christ. Hope you enjoy the talk and hang around for more after. Well, howdy! Howdy. Grab a seat. The lights will be coming on shortly. If you have a Bible, can you flip open to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. Be flipping there. Introduce myself. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the college pastor here at our Southwood campus, and I am so excited you guys are here. How was first week of class? Okay. Mixed reviews, mixed reviews. That's all right. That's all right. You're here though, people, and you are at the beginning of this year, the beginning of this semester, and you are about to embark on a great journey. A great journey, hopefully to a great destination. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The starting point of this semester, and really what should be the starting point of your time in college. And that's this. The big point in this is starting with Jesus. That's what we're looking at this morning, starting with Jesus. So I'm going to read a little bit from John chapter 1 and then pray one more time and then we will jump in. People are still trying to find seats and stuff. So if you have an open chair around you, you can just kind of wave your hand and, and someone can grab a seat or, uh, or that sort of thing. So if you need to see, okay, good. You see there. Let me read for us John chapter one, uh, starting in verse 19, it says this. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, where are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he said, and he answered, no. So they said, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Now John answered them, I baptize with water. But now among you stands one who you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you so much for the things that you're doing in and around um, Houston, the churches that are getting together, the people that are getting together to help bring hope in a, in a horrible situation. And Lord, I pray that we could also be part of that, that restoration process that happens, but, but more than just rebuilding a home, which is needed, and more than just helping remove water from homes, which is, which is desperately needed, I pray that people might see this opportunity as a place of their great need for you, Jesus. So I pray that uh, as we open your word and as we read and study your word, that you would open our hearts to the reality that we need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, great philosopher from China, Lao Che, said this, do the difficult things while they are easy and do the great things while they are small. A journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step. It's a great statement. Do do big things when they're easy. Do do great journeys with simple steps. His point is very, very simple. It's this, that great journeys begin with small steps. That's you in college, right? You are at the 
beginning of this semester and you get that syllabus in front of you and you're like, oh dear God, <laughs> how am I going to complete all these assignments? How am I going to do all of this? And I'm, I'm telling you, great journeys begin with small steps. But I'll tell you this, in order to begin a great journey, you need to know two things, the destination you want to reach and the direction you need to travel. And if you don't really know the destination you want to reach, and if you don't know the direction you want to travel, it doesn't matter how many small steps you take, you won't actually get where you most want to go. So I, I run. That's one of the things that, that I do uh, for fun in my spare time. But I'm notoriously horrible with directions or knowing where I am on planet Earth, okay? And so I told my wife this summer, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go out for a run. It was kind of a rainy day. And so I go out to Lick Creek Park, which is south of town. They got fun trails to run on. And I, and I just start running. I get to the end of the trail. and I'm like, I'm feeling good, baby. I'm just going to go further. And I used to run a lot more than I do now. And so I'm like, I know these trails and these ways to go. So I just go further. And I go into this neighborhood of Pebble Creek and I start running along. And then it starts pouring rain. And I don't mean like little, little raindrops that you can just get over, but large pelting rain on my body. And I'm going, okay, I'm, I'm really far from where I need to be. So I'm going to jump onto one of the, uh, this other route that I know through the sorry, Pebble Creek people, through the, uh, the golf course. And so I start running on the golf course to try to connect back to the trails that I need to connect to. I'm like, I know my way. And so I'm running like through this golf course and I get to one point where there's like a huge water crossing. I, I forge through the water and I get to the other side and start looking around. It's dark. I don't see where I am. I don't know where to go. And I'm like, I'm lost. And I didn't bring my cell phone because it was raining. And I was like, glad I didn't have my cell phone. And and by this point, it was probably about an hour 15 into this little jaunt of a run, right? And then I'm like, I guess I got to turn around and work my way all the way back. So that's what I did. Two and a half hours later, 14 plus miles into the run, I get back to my car, exhausted, just hurting. Everything hurts. And I sit there and my phone is blown up with like text messages from my wife. And I call her and she's crying like, where did you go? What did you do? I hate, what are, where are you? Just terrified that I had gotten lost. I said, babe, I hate to tell you this. I got lost. I was just lost. Why? Well, here's the thing about running. Running has a goal of traveling a distance and arriving back to the same place. I had a friend of mine that, that said this. Um, so you went, how far did you go today? And I was like, oh, I went five miles and, and another point in time. And he's like, he's like, okay, so where did you end up? And I'm like, oh, just back at my car. And he's like, wait a minute, you ran five miles, and didn't get anywhere. You just got back to your car. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the point of, of running. You just go out and then come back to where you started. And that's the point of a run. I mean, you can just go out and not really have a destination in mind other than getting back to where you are. And you just can choose directions. And so if you go out not knowing the destination, just choosing random directions, I will tell you this, you can get lost out there. You can just choose to, to pursue things. But if you don't really know where you actually want to land, you can chase all sorts of things, but never end up where you most want to be. And I'll tell you what, our generation right here, Generation Z, this next wave of, of people, you guys have tremendous potential. You have the wind at your sails. You, you have two character qualities that has been shown to be in your generation that are absolutely astonishing. And they're this. The first one is the entrepreneurial spirit. Like you guys want to go start something. 
You're like, I'm going to create a YouTube channel tomorrow and I'm going to populate it and all my friends are going to be at it. You're you're just going to start something new. I mean, you just have this desire, this, this, we want to do something significant and we'll start. We don't need someone to give us a handout. We'll, we'll go do it. And it's absolutely incredible. And you also have this other desire to make a difference. I mean, you want to make a difference in the world. You want to make an impact. You don't, you don't want to just live life and, and, and hopefully find a career and hopefully find a place in the suburbs. You, you want to do more than that. You want to make a difference in the world, and that's incredible. But the problem is, well, the way I've seen it play out recently is that there's basically this push towards the, the newest cause to jump onto. So a couple of years ago, it was the Ice Bucket Challenge, right, to raise, raise awareness for ALS, Right? And everyone wanted to raise awareness for ALS. And so there was one guy who was a, a victim of that disease. And, and he, so he started this ice bucket challenge and you dump a bucket of ice and you tell someone else to dump a bucket of ice. And, and it's great. And, and I read an article this week about that guy. His bills are still $95,000 a month and the energy has waned for support. And so his bills are still piling up in his life. I mean, it's, it's great to wait, raise awareness, but sometimes it stops short of making a lasting difference. Sometimes the problems are still present. There was the Comey push a couple years ago. And what's interesting is that organizations are trying to go, all right, we just need to make people aware. That's what we need to do. Hashtag awareness, right? So that's like the big thing. You can wear a t-shirt, hashtag aware, right? Well, one article in the Stanford Social Innovation Review writes it this way. Welcome to February in America. You, you're no doubt aware that this is HIV and AIDS Awareness Month and Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. February also includes Single Awareness Dating, American Heart Month, and Low Vision Awareness Month. Little did you know. National Children's Dental Health Month, International Prenatal Infection Prevention Month, African American Heritage Month, right? Health Week, Congenial, Congenial Heart Defect Awareness Week, Condom Week, Eating Disorder Awareness and Screening Week, National Wear Red Day for Women's Heart Health, World Cancer Day, and Give Kids a Smile Day, not to mention just a few. And if you missed it, January's months, <laughs> things were Codependence Awareness Month, Glaucoma Awareness Month, National Mentoring Month, Poverty in America, Random Action Month. <laughs> That's awesome. Self-Help Group Awareness Month, Stalking Awareness Month, huh, just in case, be on the lookout, right? Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month, Volunteer Blood Donor Month, Weight Loss Awareness. And all this awareness makes me go, I don't even know where to focus my energies. Like these are all problems, right? We should be aware that people are stalking people, Right. We, we, we should be aware of lots of different things, but with all of this awareness, it doesn't always give us a direction we actually need to chase, a direction we actually need to go towards. And the problem is all this awareness doesn't actually give me the tools I need to do to make a difference. But that's not unique to this generation. There has always been a desire in young people to make a difference, to find a direction in life worth chasing to find a cause worth pursuing, to to devote your life to making a difference that matters most. And the same is true in this first century, with these first century people and this first century author, author. See, he introduces us to John the Baptist, this crazed guy in the wilderness I mean, he wore like camel skin, had like a leather belt around. He would eat locusts and wild honey. Like he was your typical hipster, you know? And, and, and he's living this crazed life. 
yelling out and they're going, who are you? And he says, I'm not the Christ. Dodge, like, well, are you the prophet? No. Well, just, just tell us who you are, dude. And he gives this most enigmatic, enigmatic, uh, whatever, weird answer where he says this, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I don't know who you are, man. That, that clears nothing up. And then he's, he's basically saying this, I point the way. I am one that points a different direction. The spotlight doesn't need to be on me. What my life is about is pointing the way. And then suddenly someone walks by and he blurts out. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like a kind of uncontrolled moment. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he just blurts it out in, in, in the middle of this crowd of people going, who are you? Lamb of God. And you're just like, John, who are you? What, what is this lamb of God? And what's so significant about that statement is that it's the first time ever used in the Bible or in any ancient literature. No one had ever said, look at the Lamb of God. See, what John wants to do is this, and this is where we're going this morning. He wants to make an introduction that leaves an impression that will inspire a generation. He wants to make an introduction that will leave a dramatic impression that if you let it hit you, it will literally inspire a generation. And the first thing that we see is the introduction. He points out to these guys, look at the Lamb of God. In verse 35, it says it, says it this way. Jump over to verse 35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Now Jesus turned and saw them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. See, John had gathered a, a following. He was preaching to the nation, repent, change, make your path straight for God to come. Get ready for the messianic figure to come. There's someone coming. And he had two disciples. We learn later on, John, the author of this gospel, and Andrew are walking with John, listening. He says, look, follow that guy. Let me make an introduction to this person over there. And he calls him a significant, significant figure. He calls him the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What does that mean? Well, lambs in their culture were, were a symbol of a sacrifice. You literally made a sacrifice to God to, to cover your sin. So there was, there was a lamb that you would make a sacrifice with, but there's also something else that would happen. You, you, would, you would also have a scapegoat. So each time of year, you would have a one that was sacrificed for the sin of the nation, but you'd also have another animal that you would confess the sin of the nation over, and then you would chase out, showing expiation. This one is running away with our sin. It's like our sin is taken away. That's another image of lamb. But you also have this other image. In Isaiah 53, it says, the servant of the Lord will be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And in Revelation, that this author, the the apostle John will write, he talks about a lamb that is triumphant. But this is so unique. They've never used this. There's a lot of hype around Jesus and who he is. And rarely does anyone ever live up to the hype. So we got a football season coming this year. One or three of y'all are really excited about this. Aggies are playing football tonight. 
And there's some hype around the team. There's some hope about what they're going to do. And there's, there's great expectation what's going to happen. And, and the, the challenge is, I hope we live up to the hype, but you never know. NBA draft occurred this summer. There's one guy that took, took the cake as far as hype, and it was a guy named Lonzo Ball, right? He had a dad who was very invested in his son, right? And there was all this hype, and he gets to the NBA Summer League. You're like, okay, clearly this guy's going to be amazing. He'll be like God walking across the court. It'll be absolutely incredible. And he had a rough first couple games, right? One of our own played with him and made him look a little bit better. I'll, I'll say it that way, Alex Crusoe. But he, he, he played the game, and, and he hasn't quite lived up to the hype. In the same way that NBA drafts, and they, there's this first round of drafts. Everyone's expecting these first rounders to be amazing. But if you watch them long enough, sometimes the second rounders actually outplay the first rounders. It's very hard to live up to the hype. But John says something significant. This man, I'm, I'm telling you, I want to introduce you to him. He is worth the hype. He is the Lamb of God, and he takes away the sin of the world. And if you just look at Jesus, just look at him as a person. He affected the world like no other person in history. He split time. You realize we'd number our days based on the life that this man lived. It's 2017, not because of Muhammad, not because of Zoroaster, not any other major figure in history. It's Jesus Christ who literally split time. But not only that, he's revered by the world. Time Magazine routinely will put Jesus on the cover. Why? It's one of the most significant people that the world has ever seen. Even his detractors will say, I don't like your Christians, but I really like your Jesus. See, he is revered by the world, but, but more than that, he died to forgive your sins, the sins of the world. And, it, and if, you, if you don't know it yet, the world has problems, right? There's, there's race problems, right? There's race issues, one or two, right? There's political issues, There's weather issues. There's a war-torn world as we see refugees running from their homes seeking asylum and hope. And there's no agreement on what the worldwide solution should be. There's no agreement. And I was reading all of these articles about different companies trying to attract your generation, right? How do we get the Gen Zers to buy our products and, and to know that we care and we want to make a difference? So I read about Chubbies, right? The shorts, yeah. And they're like, how do we get Gen Gen Zers to wear our chubbies? Here's what we'll do. We'll create a way for them to wear chubbies, send us selfies, and as they see that we care about the average person uh, and, and they become our new models, we can show everyone should wear chubbies. Chubbies cares about the little guy, right? And and I'm reading this article talking up to other companies about how to get people to wear your products. And they're like, dude, take a page from Chubby's. Tie your company to something that people care about. And maybe they'll buy your product. And I look at that, I'm like, oh, that's dark. (laughs) Like, how can I... How can I leverage your desire to make a difference and make an impact and at the same time get you to buy my product? There is no agreement on what we should do. Let's try to leverage people. Another option is let's, let's get our political party to pass this legislation. Now let's get our political party to stop this legislation. And in the midst of that world, Jesus stands at the center of history and says, look, I'm not, I'm not about a campaign slogan. I'm not about a company with a cause. I'm not about hashtag social awareness. I'm not about that. 
I'm the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know what the worldwide problem is? Sin. And it affects all of us. And there's no agreed upon solution. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to stand in the midst of this moment and give what's needed to fix everything. I'm going to give myself. He says, you need a place for your hate to land. You need a group that can be blamed. He says, look, blame me. You, you want someone to take the punishment for whatever happened. You want some group to, to deal with the problems that were created. He says, you're right. There's a huge problem. You blame me. You want one person to fix everything, to bring hope to the world. He says, I'm the lamb that's also going to rise. I'm going to take the punishment for the world. You want someone to blame. You want someone to hate. You put it right here on the cross. And then I will stand in history and give my life and I will usher in a new life that's incredible, that changes everything. That's the lamb we need. The lamb that gave everything to fix everything. That's the introduction. But let's look at his first impressions. Verse 35, it says this. Now the next day, John was standing with the two disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked And he said, behold, the Lamb of God. Now, two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following, and and he said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come, and you will see. And so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was the 10th hour, which is about four in the afternoon. And what's so incredible is that John says, follow that guy, and suddenly these two disciples start doing just that. They're like, hey, follow that guy. And it's like they, they, they stalked him. I don't know how else to say it. Like, they're just like, there he goes. Let's kind of walk around this way, right? It's like what you do in class. You're like, that guy's kind of cute. And you're like, I'll just sit near him. <laughs> and if he needs to get a drink of water, I might go get some water as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this kind of... I'm trying to nonchalant stalk Jesus to kind of see what this guy's about. He's a lamb. That sounds significant. I'm just going to walk around him. And then suddenly he catches them. Like he sees them stalking him. And he turns around and goes, what are you, what are you seeking? Right? What, what do you want? And they don't have a good, a good answer. They're like, um, uh, where, where are you staying? Where, where, are you, where are you? We're kind of out in the wilderness. Where, where, are, you, uh, where, where are you staying? And I love that. I mean, what do you think Jesus should say at that moment? Like, you're incognito trying to follow me around. Like, what are you doing? You got a place to sleep tonight. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, and they're like, no, stalker, I'm not going to stay with you. And it's, it's just so weird. And then he says, come and see. You see, it's almost like these guys couldn't think past that awkward, I want to know a little bit more. But Jesus is so patient with these curious men. He is so patient with them. And I'll tell you this, sometimes it can feel very awkward to come to Jesus. For some of you coming to this moment at this church was awkward for you. You're like, I've got to park where? I've got to walk where? Like they're going to shove me into this room with these tables and I got to sit with those people and look at them in the eye? Like this is all very awkward and the music starts, right? 
I remember when I first went to a church like this in college, like the music starts and it's, it's different than what I grew up with. I grew up in a more traditional church and I came to a church that was just like this and, and the music starts like, okay, that's kind of bumping, that's cool. And then people start raising their hands and you're like, you do that here? Like I do it at football games, right? But like in church, like I just don't, it's a weird moment. And so you see people like worshiping and, and maybe you'll even hear people start praying, right? And they use like this very intimate language, you know? They're just like, Father God, Daddy, you know, like if you're really intimate. And, or they're like, they're, like, they're like, Jesus, will you just like, and then when I pray. I remember the first time I got in a, a prayer group, like someone prayed for hedges, right? They're just like, can you put a hedge of protection around them? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know these hedges. Like I don't, and, 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 and I'm going, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to talk here. I don't even know how to interact here. I don't even know the right things to say here. And, and it can feel that way. And you get around Christian friends and like there's Christian code language. Like, like oh, about my walk and my disciplinary. Am I, and you're just like, I don't, I don't know these words, right? Is he like a Yoda to you? Like, I don't know what y'all are doing. And, and there's this whole culture that you jump into and, and there's this language that's used and this way that we interact. And, and I think for many of us, when you come to these moments, even this moment, you're like, I don't know how I fit here. I don't know if, if I can say the right thing or do the right thing, but all we're saying, all Jesus is saying is this, come and see, he's patient with you. You don't need to adopt all the lingo. You don't need to wear the chacos. Like you can be you and be here. And I love that. He is so patient with the curious. If that's you this morning, if you're just like, I'm just trying to check out this Christian thing, come, learn, be a part. Jesus just says to these guys, I want you to come and see. Come and see what I'm like. And then there's the next group that comes. Now, one of those who heard Jesus, John, speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, and he found first his own brother, Simon, and said, we have found the Messiah, which is translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. And the next day he purposed to go to Galilee and he found Philip. And he said to him, follow me. I mean, I love that. I mean, he's just walking along with these guys and these guys, Andrew and John are like, okay, I'm gonna go get my bro. I'm gonna go get him and pull him in. Like, you're gonna be a part of this. And he introduces his brother to Jesus and says, Jesus goes, you're Peter, new name. You've got a new nickname. You're Peter, you're the rock. You're part of our team. He pulls him right in. See, he does something that's significant for other people. Some people are ready. They're ready to commit and Philip was also one of those guys. Peter was ready to jump in. He's a ready fire aim guy. And so was Philip. We're gonna see Philip literally go in and get a new guy. But these guys, if you were ready to commit your life, Jesus is ready for you to jump in. And some of you, that's you this semester. Like you're ready. Like for some of you, uh, we literally sent out information about Hurricane Harvey relief and how you could be a part. And, and you like jumped in immediately. Some of you, you're at tables where we said, hey, I want you to help bring your friends and, and, and invite other people in to know Jesus and be in relationships. And you've already jumped in. For some of you, we're gonna start developing some partnerships with some local schools. If we can send mentors and, and help in these local schools that are people that, are, that, that need help, they need a mentor, they need a friend. 
And some of you are going to be ready to jump in. And I'll tell you what, Jesus is ready for the committed. If you're ready to jump in, there are places we want to go and we need more help to get there. But then there's a third group and that's the skeptic. And Jesus is a winsome with a skeptic. It says this, now Philip was from Bethesda of the city of Andrew and Peter. Like they're all buddies. They all know each other. Now Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Philip said to him, now come and see. Now, now what's the deal with Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was a podunk town of a lot of mixed marriages. It was a sketchy, sketchy place, right? Um, when we would make fun of places growing up, and I feel terrible about this, we would make fun of Arkansas. Um, and so you would just have like a joke about Arkansas, right? You're like, oh, that's weird. You marry your sister. You're from, I, anyway, it was bad. It was a terrible thing to do. And that's kind of like what Nathaniel is doing. Like there's that place that you're just like, or maybe for, for me growing up, it was like the other high school, like, oh yeah, you're an idiot. Like those people at the other high school. Like there was a way to just kind of crack a joke at them to kind of put a slam on them. I'm so sorry if you're from Arkansas. I repent for my, for my jokes. But, 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 I'll, but I'll tell you this. There's that place that you're just kind of like, oh yeah, sketchy people from that place. And that's what Nathaniel is saying. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, that's like a podunk, awkward, weird place. There's nothing good coming from there. He's a skeptic. He doesn't believe that Jesus actually has what he needs, but I love Philip's response, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him and said, behold, an Israelite indeed whom there was no deceit. And Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you. Before he spoke to you, I knew where you were. Before you even knew me, I knew exactly who you were, Nathaniel. I knew where you were sitting. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. I love that. Let me tell you, I think many of us have friends that are skeptical. Some of you might be skeptical. Some of, some of you have friends that are skeptical about God, and you're just like, I don't know if, if I really have the answers for them. Like, I don't know if I can give them the right information to overcome their disbelief, to, to overcome and want to actually walk with Jesus. But I would give you one quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon that, that should give you confidence. He says, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself. You see, the Bible has been tested and ripped open more than any other religious book and it's found to be a complete complicity with the historical account. It's unreal. For the, for the longest time, there was questions about whether the events of the Bible actually happened the way they described. And as they've, they've come to science today, proves, oh yeah, the Bible has been saying this all along. One example. King David of the Old Testament. For the longest time, there was thought that the King David actually wasn't actually alive, wasn't actually real, until they found an inscription talking about the house of David, well before David's lineage, began, or well before they thought that the uh, idea of David came out. And in order for them to talk about a house of David, a line of David, they saw that it was in complete complicity with everything they wrote. The Dead Sea Scrolls, tremendous find of the Old Testament. And what they found is that they looked at modern translations of the Hebrew and those ancient translations of the Hebrew. 
the differences were so minute that the Bible has been completely and accurately preserved beyond anything that they expected. You see, the Bible actually records what God wanted to say. And you can test it. You can look at it. The skeptic has a tough thing to overcome. You can trust it. And for many of you, you've grown up in Christian homes. Like you've grown up and kind of been a Christian your whole life. And you've wondered, can can I actually hold this up to the light? Can I actually test my faith? And my simple answer to you would be, yes. Jesus is enough for the skeptic. You may have challenges, you may have questions, but all you need to do is look deeply and you'll see it's actually real. And some of you may ask, like, is there like a rock solid argument? Like, Kevin, can you give me the silver bullet that would answer every objection anyone could possibly have? One pastor who I, who I greatly respect, a guy named Tim Keller, says it this way. Maybe God didn't give you one rock-solid argument, but maybe he gave you a rock-solid person, the person of Jesus, against whom there is no argument. Maybe as you raise your skeptical questions, you point to the person of Jesus and you ask, does he withstand the scrutiny? And I'll tell you what, he does. There's an introduction There's the first impressions that he's patient with the curious. He is ready for the committed. He is winsome with the skeptic. But lastly, here's the inspiration. You are called to invite others in. You see, did you watch how the introduction of Jesus moved throughout this entire text? How did it move? Through friends. It was John John was Jesus' cousin, saying, guys, you need to follow him. The guys, John and Andrew, they they jump on. They're like, okay, I'm going to follow this guy. And as soon as they understand who Jesus is, immediately they go to their next buddy. And they're like, hey, you've got to know this guy. You've got to come hear what he's about. Come meet him. And then they go to Philip. And Philip grabs Nathaniel. They were all buddies that ran together. Here's how this message moves. Here's how every introduction happens. You meet you get changed, and that change means you have to tell everyone else. And this is how everything works. Like, for example, just take it out of Christianity. Like, if you found the best taco place in Bryan College Station, like, you went there, and you didn't tell me, that would hurt my feelings, right? But if you go, and you're just like, this taco is incredible, you're going to bring that information to everyone. That's how everything spreads. If it's changed you, if it's impacted you, the most natural, inspiring thing to do is to reach out and tell someone else about it. And I'll tell you what, that's what we see. This is how this message spreads. And I'll tell you what, one of the greatest regrets I've had in college was not doing just that. I, uh, when I was in college, I was getting ready for a Bible study that I was in. And we were studying the book of Romans. It was very intense. And I remember there was a guy that I knew, and he, he was actually a fifth-year senior. I was a sophomore in college. And he goes, hey, uh, so what do y'all do at that Bible study thing? He'd never been a part of a Bible study in his life. And I'm like, well, you know, it's kind of varsity. You know, like, we were kind of intense. And he's like, oh, okay. And I never invited him. And I know for a fact, no one ever invited him. I remember a couple of years later, I went on, on staff with that church and they were talking about how we can invite more people into relationship with God and, and, and reach out to more people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm an 
idiot. He was asking. He was curious. But I just let him pass by. I tell you what, the, the goal of our time here in, at Southwood, at Grace Bible Church, is this. To connect as many people as possible with the person of Jesus Christ. We don't care about our name. We don't care about our room. We don't care about our brand. What do we care about? Jesus. There are 75,000 college students in this town. Many of them do not know the person of Jesus. There are tons of people in your classrooms that you interact with every day, tons of them that don't know Jesus. There are tons of people that walk through these doors and never have a connection, a relationship with people, Christians, with the help of getting to know Jesus. You know what we're about here? You know why I want you to be here? Because I want you to help more and more people know the person that changed everything. And there's two spots I just want to point you to this morning. Our connecting crew team. <laughs> You're like, Kevin, that is a, I don't see the connection. Well, I'll tell you this. There's a, Grace has a big front door and a big back door. A lot of people come in and a lot of people can go out unconnected. We have our leaders for these first three weeks that have been on point to help connect you, help you find a table, help you connect it with a table host. But they're going to move off of that team and we need to refill those teams. Connect team is this. They, they just invite people from the door to come in and grab a seat. They're just like smiling. Just that simple smile like, hey, glad you're here. Come be a part of this. That simple smile makes so much of a difference. If you would be interested in being on that team, I, I would hope you would. Helping more college students connect relationally here so they can connect with Jesus. Our people are going to be at the back of the room. And our crew team. These tables, these chairs, this room gets used by two other ministries before we use it in college. Two other ones. That means we can't set up before 10.35 and then we flip the room so that we can meet here and worship together. Would you think about joining our team? It's a Sunday morning commitment. That's all it is. You can meet with our folks in the back. So that's one place that we help invite others in. But I will tell you this. The thing you need to do, do with your time in college is this you need to know the direction you're going. You need to say, am I going to follow Christ with my life or am I going to let some other priority take, take precedent? And I'll tell you what, the direction you choose is the single most direction you choose in life. And I'm telling you, if you choose to walk with Jesus, to spread his love, it'll change your life. At the end of this section, Jesus says to Nathaniel, Jesus answered and said to him, because you, I have said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's something bigger you get to be a part of. If you have never seen a life be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you in. See it this year. If you've never been a part of seeing someone come to faith, I'm inviting you to join with us this year. I tell you what, it is a journey that will change your life if you simply step and follow him. I spent a lot of time in college in Colorado, last story, and I, was, uh, I went hiking with my uh, Uncle Jim, right? Jim Smith from Pagosa Springs, Colorado. And he was a, he's a, he was a burly man, big beard, total mountain man, right? 
And he tells me we're going to hike Pagosa Peak. I'm like, perfect, this sounds great. And so we, we go out on this journey, and we start going along. And there came a point when the journey got really uh, rocky and snowy. In fact, the trail got completely covered. And I'm standing there at the top of this going, I don't know what direction to go. And he's like, yeah, we got kind of lost back there. But here, if you follow behind me, we're going to go across the face of this mountain. We're going to go over this cliff. And once we climb our way down, it will be the most beautiful scene you've ever seen. I'm like, all right, mountain man, let's see what you got. He goes, you follow me. And he walks literally across the face of this mountain, and he takes one snow trudge step after another across the face of this mountain. And the first couple steps are easy, right? The first kind of step, he's like, okay, like I can do this, I can do this. And by the time we get to the middle of this trail, I look down to the side, and it's just sheer ice. And I'm like, you are crazy, Uncle Jim. And I get scared. I mean, I freeze up for a moment, and I'm like, just focus on him. And I take one step after another across the face. And then we get up to uh, the top of this mountain. And he looks over and he says, look, now at this point, we're going to have to rock climb down. And I'm like, we have no ropes. We have no rappelling gear. You're crazy mountain man. Like I've never climbed a rock. I'm from Houston. Like the highest, you know, traverse I've done is like I-45. You know, like that's the highest I've been. And, and, and I'm going, what are we going to do? And and, and he goes over the edge, and then my girl cousin Kim goes over the edge, and they start walking their way down. I'm like, time to man up. And, and I go over the edge, and I start holding and climbing my way down, and I'm like, I freeze. I'm terrified. And he looks at me, and he says, okay, move your hand down here. Put your foot down here. Work your way down. And when I finally got down, we looked, and I just saw the view. It's a beautiful, crystal clear lake. There was caribou walking across. And I'm like, this is it. If I took one step after another following you, this is the destination I want to go to. I may not know how to get there, but I know I can trust you to lead me where I most want to be. You can trust your life to Jesus. He will lead your life if you trust him. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And I thank you that we have this opportunity to to worship together, to learn together. But more than anything else, I pray that we would trust you, Jesus. That we would align our life behind you, knowing that if we're skeptical, if we're curious, if if we're committed, regardless of where we are, you have the next step for us if we trust you and follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At this point... You ha- we're on tables to have discussion. You have table leaders there that help guide that discussion. Once you turn and have a great discussion with them. <laughs>